is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Brian Latendry. And I'm Anthony Johnston. And today, well, first of all, Brian and I are going to reenact our conversation that, <laughs> that we had off air following the yeah. last episode uh, when he asked me what the bonus album was going to be, because this is the bonus track for Volume 5. And I said to him, what if I told you, Brian Latendry, that in the 1980s, there was a German band influenced by Iron Maiden, Halloween, and Merciful Fate that you have never heard of. And Brian said, I would say that you were a liar because there's no way that that would have been the case and I would not have heard of them and been enjoying their music for the past couple of decades at least. Indeed. But in fact, that band does exist or did exist. And somehow, a long time ago, one of their albums came into my possession. Now, that's a very vague <laughs> thing to say, and I'll explain why I'm being vague later on when we start talking about the album. But I feel like there's a lot of Halloween magic around this already. Well, uh, f- suffice to say, it, like Halloween, it is not an album that I think most of our listeners would assume that I would pick or even right. listen to at all. If our collections were stacked up next to one another and this album <laughs> fell out choose, of it, yeah, and someone said, collection? oh, what pile does this go in? Does this go in Brian's pile or does <laughs> this go in Anthony's pile? I think 99.9% of our listeners would have put it in my pile. Honestly, I think I would have put it in your pile if yeah, I didn't know like, any hey, What is this? <laughs> I'd been like, dude, that's yours. Yeah. So, I mean, it, if you're out there, if you've been listening without looking at the episode title uh, somehow, the band is Stormwitch. And the album is Stronger Than Heaven from 1986. And we will, yeah, we are both looking forward to talking about this album uh, in a bit. But before we do, uh, let's have some follow-up from last episode. First of all, a couple of new patrons for, uh, since the last episode, David Richards and Rob Jenkins. Thank you, guys. Welcome. Um, on our Facebook group, which you can find at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. There was a thread started recently of our listeners, uh, both Patreon subscribers and just listeners in general, who make music or used to be in bands, complete with like links to go and listen to them. And there's some really great stuff in there. So I encourage everybody to go and have a look for that thread. Um, because, uh, yeah, it turns out our listeners are a really talented bunch. They're amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, as well as being, obviously, as we've said before, a very friendly and res- respectful uh, bunch, which is not something you see on social media uh, an awful lot these days. But uh, the Thrash It Out group on Facebook continues to be a very, very friendly. And uh, I mean, you know, we joke around and people will like take the piss out of each other, but in a really, really good, respectful way. Uh, it yeah. really is such a great community. It's very, uh, I heard somebody talking about this on a different podcast I listened to about how they were just so thankful for their community. And, and I feel like that's where we're at now in terms of like the internet community is like you, you hope to create, you know, an island in the sea of chaos and, and, and build a community around it. And this one just keeps growing and, and being awesome and a place that I constantly come back to because as you said, people are just uh, great in this group, whether it's the Facebook group or it's Patreon or it's Twitter. Um, it's just really nice to be able to just talk about music with people and have that be really positive. Right. Yeah. And yeah, and not descend into name calling and, and horrible stuff. Um, so, yeah, really good. Uh, what else? Speaking of uh, making our own music, I have a new Silencion album out, which as we record isn't yet released, but by the time this episode's 
published should be available. Um, so I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's called Ritualis Obscura, and uh, I recorded it specifically for uh, Halloween or Samhain oh, dude, I can't or, wait. or Saints Eve or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it is it is a very spooky, dark, uh, you know, gothic album of sounds and moans and ghostly things. <laughs> I got to figure out, and maybe you can help me with this, Anthony. I got to figure out how to get on the um, the press list for Silencion so I can get early releases of those albums and stuff like that before they come out. Oh, it's a very exclusive list. I'm not sure. I, I, just, get you on it. I mean, I know. <laughs> <laughs> the, li- the list is my ears. <laughs> I mean, that whole that, that whole you know uh, that whole band that whole uh, brand is a is an enigma. It really is. Yeah. Who is, who yeah. is Silencion? Um, uh, what else? Oh, also talking about sort of other bands. Uh, there's a London-based band that I think we mentioned on here before called Kabuki, who makes sort of very uh, glam rock stroke Japanese visual K-inspired yep. hard rock stuff. Um, and they got in touch again. They have a new single out called Killing the Dragon, um, which, you know, not really my thing, but what they do, they do very well. Uh, and bless them, I think they do actually listen to the show because they address their emails to us. They're the only people who actually address their emails to us by name. They know both of our names, and that makes me think that at least somebody in that band or management does actually listen to the show. So, hello, guys. Here you go. Here's your plug. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that, too, especially because we get a lot of uh, form emails, you know, a lot of, a lot of yeah, emails a lot that, of are, that are not at all... Um, yeah, you, you can tell that we've just been added onto a list somewhere and you know, they're exactly. completely impersonal. And frankly, I delete 99% of them. Um, but I do look out for the ones that actually mention us by name. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> um, finally, uh, before we get on to talking about the last episode, some sad news. Um, you may recall a couple of weeks ago, there was an attack in Norway where a guy just went psycho with a bow and arrow, uh, for heaven's sake, and killed several people. And one of the people who was killed was a musician, Andrea Nabel, uh, also known as Hagalaz Rundance, or Nabel Hexer, uh, who was a sort of neo-pagan, neo-folk, uh, gothic rock musician. And I've got a couple of her albums. I was listening to one of her Hagalaz Rundance albums just a few days before it happened, in a bizarre coincidence. Wow. And yeah, she just dead killed by this psycho with a bow and arrow so incredibly sad dude. yeah so um i've actually dedicated the silencing album to her memory because yeah what a horrible thing you know just completely senseless when we put this episode up can you put a, a note about where to find her stuff in the notes Yep, or in, I, the, in the comments of the episode, I, so people can go check it out if they haven't. Absolutely, yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes for that as well, yeah. Um, but life goes on, and uh, last episode, I mean, <laughs> talking about the theme of life goes on despite uh, hardship and tragedy, last episode we did Great Southern Tranquil uh, as our encore episode for this volume by Pantera, and... I mean, we said at the time it was a. I was surprised at what a popular choice it was among yes. our listeners. I because I'd never regarded Trend Killers, you know, sort of one of the albums that people immediately think of when they think of Pantera. But it turns out a lot of people do. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in great conversation around the album, too. I'll just jump right into some of the comments that we got uh, from it. Andy said, so I didn't hate this album, but I thought much the same of it as Vulgar Display of Power, basically that I wish I could airlift Dime out of this band <laughs> and plonk him down in one not fronted by a grade A knucklehead. Uh, there are a couple colors here that aren't aggression and rage, but it's still not especially interesting to me. Uh, he said, but you know what? Drags, drag the Waters kicks ass. I can't deny that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a whole separate conversation to be had there just about, you know, Dime and his guitar playing and what that could have been like in different bands and stuff like that. But he, he also, I feel like did so many guest appearances on people's albums that you could definitely put together at least an album's worth of his guest appearances. If you, you you know, if you're not that Mm. into Pantera, but want to hear Dime, um, playing Earl said, I was. I was stoked when you guys announced you were reviewing this album. Trendkill would have been my fave Pantera album. Uh, top 10 all-time, possibly higher. I get quite a bit of shit for that opinion as well. I've seen many miles on my old Discman uh, streaming and now on vinyl. It's an absolute it's absolute viciousness caught on tape. Pure aggression mixed with deep pain, sorrow, and anger. It's raw and honest on a level that few could ever match. Pantera are fascinating in that you can literally hear both their meteoric rise and demise with with each subsequent album. Uh, that I feel like is true. Mm. Um, you can actually <laughs> listen to the the sort of you can definitely listen to to the evolution, the pinnacle, and the downslope. I feel yeah. like with it, more so than maybe a lot of other bands who you know kind of just like a lot of eighties bands. The bottom just dropped out. You know when when the when the landscape changed, that music was just no longer popular and they disappeared. Um, with Pantera, you can hear that straight through, like their their evolution and then you know kind of subsequent fall. It is like a curve, isn't it? Yeah, as you say, watching the rise and the fall rather than just sort of them disappearing at the point of the. Um, Straight after the rise, which happens with so many bands, yeah. Right. Uh, Phil said, God, I just can't. (laughs) The the first song, (laughs) he says, the first song, and I'm using that term loosely, makes me want to hammer nails through my eardrums. I remember it was this album where Pantera, I went, nope. Uh, (laughs) He said, I wanted to follow up and say, although, again, an album that doesn't do it for me. I love the episode, Brian and Antony. I'd listen to you guys argue about the phone book at this point. (laughs) Well, you're going to love our new podcast, which we're announcing in a couple of weeks then. Uh, it'll start up in the new year. Uh, let's see. Tordith said, oh, Phil, beers are on me so we can discuss our almost literal opposite interests. Great Southern Trend Kill is probably the only song I liked, and I love it so much. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation about that. Uh, Christopher said, now I remember why I cannot listen to Pantera. Except for a few songs on Cowboys, it's all skip material for me. Admittedly, though, I've never heard their hair metal era of the band Pantera fits firmly into the never got it category for me. So I shared the link to uh, power metal, yeah. which like, uh, oh, if you, pull up a chair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If that is your take on Pantera is like, I just don't like this style. You're going to want to go back and check out their early stuff, even pre fill stuff for sure, because you might have a different opinion of that. Um, let's see. JD said, going to add myself to the Nope crowd here. Power Metal is the only Pantera album that agrees with me. Well, I mean, I can't argue with great taste, JD. Uh, there was something I found really interesting in this episode, though. It was mentioned that this was an album a lot of metalheads gravitated toward due to feeling abandoned in the musical landscape. Me, I was in a whole other part of that landscape at the time, having embraced industrial as my main genre. 
I still made frequent day trips to metal with King Diamond, Merciful Fate, and Typo Negative releasing new albums that same year, but the changing face of the genre didn't really bother me that much. I could listen to my old albums if I wanted to, or I could listen to some new stuff, no muss, no fuss. Uh, he said, okay, Bruce releasing Skunk Works that year did make me pine for the old Iron Maiden, but otherwise I was good. Do you know, I uh, think that's a point worth sort of following up on because yeah. that is, that's the way I feel sometimes uh, about, you know, we, we've talked, I mean, we covered, we've deliberately, you and I try to cover, you know, new bands and sort of on this show and make sure that it's not just a nostalgia fest. Um, but also, you know, you don't, have to listen to a band <laughs> you know you don't have to embrace the new stuff if it's not doing it for you and i'm reminded of um i don't know if you remember a, a couple of years ago uh the there was a beastie boys actually no, i think it was only a year ago wasn't it there was a beastie boys movie sort of you know f- semi-documentary movie uh came out and the surviving beastie boys were doing a theater tour uh pre-covid which i think was filmed and became part of it and i remember in one of the interviews uh who was it it was adam horowitz um uh basically somebody said like what do you think about you know this band and this band and this band like new acts and he was like i don't listen to any of them i'm an old man i don't because there was like you don't listen to new music he's like no i'm like i'm over 50 i don't listen to new music why would i want to do that (laughs) (laughs) nobody expects me to listen to new music and i don't want to (laughs) well that's that is a very interesting point and it makes me think a lot about uh comics in the comic industry but i feel like there that's that's the type of thing that turns a community like toxic where you have a large portion of the community that are not liking the evolution of a genre and at the same time demanding that it be what they grew up with. Right. That's and, where it and turns, that's where things yeah. kind of fall apart. And to be honest, like that was one of the reasons we stopped doing uh, the secret identity podcast a while back was just that it, it was, it was becoming less and less fun because the, the comics community in general was just really not great. Um, but that's so interesting, right? Whereas I think what, what, um, you know, JD is saying here and to your point, you can not like where something is evolving to and just not engage with it. Yeah. (laughs) Like you don't have to, (laughs) you you don't don't have have to to make your time about, you know, fighting the tide exactly, and trying to, and being angry about that and letting that consume you, like go enjoy the music that you grew up with and, and love it. I mean, so much of the show is celebrating like music that we grew up with. And, um, you know, while I think what's great about this is we're constantly getting introduced to, to new things. And in the case of the one we're going to talk about today, old things that we might have missed. Um, but yeah, like that whole idea of being mad about things changing and being more consumed by that than like, enjoying the stuff that made you a fan of it in the first place is like wild. Yeah. It's Um, still there. Go back and listen to that. It's fine. (laughs) Totally. All those albums are still there. Like now you can get them in so many different formats. You can get them in, you know, any way you want to get them in. And uh, music is more accessible than ever. And you can consume it in pretty much any way that you want to. So there's even more reasons to go back and revisit like things that you loved and stuff like that. So yeah, very, very good. Uh, very good point. And also interesting, like how, but I wasn't that, um, I guess I did do that. Like back when I, 
when grunge took over. Yeah, you and said the type that of you metal just kind I, of skipped I just over kind of era. fell yeah. back into what I had been listening to before, except for whatever, you know, roommates introduced me to at college during that time. And then, you know, I eventually kind of plugged back in. But um, but yeah, I guess that is what I did. So, um, yeah, I was too busy to be angry at the world of the changing landscape. Yeah. So, um <laughs> And, and now I'm too old. So I missed that whole period. Like I, <laughs> I, 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 I missed the whole period where I could have been like a toxic fan of something. Cause now I'm too old for it. And you know, before I was too young for it, but anyways, uh, art said another great episode, another great album. When you both did the vulgar episode, I think I teared up because it really did bring me back to that time in my life. I must've been about 15 or 16 when Cowboys came out and I became a Pantera fan for life after that. I still haven't heard any of the hair metal era stuff as I'm not a fan of listening to music on YouTube. Um, just a note on that. They pretty much will never release that stuff again, mm-hmm. like re-release their old stuff. I mean, maybe someday, but that they've been like so against, re- you know, releasing that old stuff that it, it's I'd if you can't find an old yeah. copy or you can't go to YouTube, you're probably not going to pick it up anymore. Um, let's see. I really dig this album and I do get the criticisms, even though I don't necessarily agree with them. I think this album kicks ass from start to finish. It's probably my second favorite after vulgar display of power. I think the weak link for me is floods. I think it's interesting that they're trying something a little different, but other than the solo, that song doesn't work for me completely. I look forward to the next episode, next bonus episode, but not the months long wait until the start of the next volume. Hey, let's not focus on that. We're here now. <laughs> yeah. We're here right now. Let's, let's enjoy the time that we have together now. Oh, man, um, say Floods was one of my favorite tracks on the album. <laughs> I think that tracks though, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I think that, that, that fits for what people would, uh, you know, Expect, know of what you yeah, shared of yeah. your listening taste. Yeah. Uh, let's see. He, the Kenneth said, I'm not sure about Pantera putting across that they were grumpy. The vulgar video uh, that they released made it look like they were having a blast. And I guess that's a 1993 home video. Maybe that was part of some, yeah. um, it, like it was, it was like an add on to, to a single or something, a video. I think no, they they released several home videos uh, that were, I mean, I say home videos that were basically sort of not professionally staged films of gigs of of tours so they were filmed on like camcorders and stuff you know it wasn't this was not sort of let's get 10 cameras and a professional crew in to film a concert or anything uh and they would intersperse them with life on the road you know camcorder behind the scenes stuff as well they did one for cowboys from hell that was uh very entertaining actually and i think i said in reply to that comment like yeah they were clearly you can tell from those videos they were having an absolute fucking blast when they started out, you know, they were having a great time. They were rising up. They weren't yet on top of the world, but they were clearly getting there and determined to get there. And they looked like a band who were having the time of their life. And then of course, as we know, you know, it all went sour, unfortunately so quickly when they did finally get there. Well, I think this brings up for me, you know, the professional wrestling aspect of metal, like we've talked about before, because again, they were a hair metal band. They adopted this persona of their music and put that out there. And so they, but they were always those guys. Like if you go back and listen to any of that hair metal stuff, like it's super cheese. It's totally like juvenile frat house, um, you know, hair metal stuff back in the day and, and power metal stuff. And so, um, yeah, that, that actually makes sense to me that that's who they were kind of behind the scenes. And then the image that they're projecting, you know, as a band is like more metal than everything, you know, whereas, (laughs) I feel like the only ones that weren't 
professional wrestlers are Motorhead. Yeah, right. Although you just reminded me of Motorhead there when you said more metal than everything, because of course one of their mottos was everything louder than everything else. <laughs> but if you heard them in concert, that's actually true. Yeah, like true. they they will destroy your eardrums in concert. I, I feel like the only band that's carrying on. Uh, not to digress, but like Motorhead's, this music is going to hurt your ears. Uh, is Black Label Society? That there he Zach is probably the loudest I've ever heard anyone play like it had to be at illegal levels whatever the oh, wow. you know when i go see black label society like he just plays at like illegal levels of volume what um, man of war in the guinness book of records as being I like think the you're loudest right. band but i don't know whether that's still the case anymore but i'm sure i remember them boasting about being in the guinness book of records as like yeah the world's loudest band <laughs> yeah I mean, I could think of th- three shows that ruined my ears. One was the Motorhead Anthrax show that I heard. The second was Black Label Society. And the third was uh, when I saw Slayer at the Mayhem Festival. And I happened to be too close to the like the giant amps. Ah, uh, right. Um, but that's when I had to start wearing earplugs. Yeah. Like the, the, <laughs> so I went out and bought the nice ones that uh, let you hear the music really clearly, but filter out a lot of that because I was definitely in the camp of like, why would you wear earplugs at a metal show? And then it's like, oh, <laughs> this I, is why. <laughs> now I know what people mean by permanently damaging your hearing. I get that now. Um, anyways, so let's see. Steve said, your episode on Great Southern Trend Kill absolutely nailed it. I always wondered why that album never felt like vul- vulgar display and far beyond to me. He said, it's Phil. It's the breakdown of a man on record, desperately looking for something to hold on to. When news of his OD broke, I was working with an ex-girlfriend of his, and we were told by a colleague, and neither of us believed it. Then it properly came out, and everything changed. Watching his career since, he still seems like a lost man trying to find his reason. A shame we lost Vinny and Dime, as we'll never get their side of the story now. Great fuel for thought. Thanks. Yep, and all 100% true. Uh, let's see. Kenneth said that was a fantastic episode. Really interesting chat about the band and where they were at at the time. I think you did more to humanize Phil in that two hours than anything I've read or listened to before, but the album is a massive nope for me. Pantera are a one-trick pony who flog that horse to death by the second side of vulgar display. That's an interesting take. Uh, it's not a sound I enjoy, back to my hatred of 90s drum sound, uh, and they were well past their sell-by date at this point. I can't get past Phil either. He's a nasty bit of work, and I'm constantly ashamed that the metal community just gives him a pass because he was in a band they liked in the 90s. That's a whole, like, That's a there's whole a lot of guys other, in the yeah, metal community. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, dude, we should just have a whole episode about that. Some, uh, maybe we shouldn't have a whole episode yeah, about maybe that sometime. Not. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but that whole uh, separating the art from the artist thing is, is I think, constantly tested in not just metal, in every genre of music, but certainly there are prime examples of that in metal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Megadeth being a prime contender to that, for sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, David said, apart from a few songs on Cowboys from Hell, I just don't really get Pantera. Never saw what the attraction was and why they became so popular, to be honest. Um, which, of course, there was good discussion. After that, you had asked uh, which songs... That, that actually did grab him, and he said um, the title track, Cowboys from, from Hell and Cemetery Gates. Which, which I think, yeah. again, if that's your kind of touchstone for like what you liked of Pantera, 
go back and check out the older stuff. Oh, especially, yeah, if Cemetery Gates is one of the only tracks on that album that you like, then yeah, you need to go back, not forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just, that's the thing to me that is the shame of them not releasing their early stuff. Like, I get why, that because it doesn't match the brand, you know, at this point. But at the same time, it's like, there's a whole group of fans that never got modern Pantera mm. that would be that might blown be more away. Into the old version. A hundred percent, dude. And would scoop up those. Are you kidding me? Like, even hardcore Pantera fans who didn't like any of the hair metal stuff or didn't even know about it would buy those albums if they came out, for sure. And they must. Well, maybe they, they must have the rights to all that stuff by now. Um, I'd assume see. so, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the business arrangement was, but didn't they form their own label to release the early... I know, think they st- did. Stuff like, uh, I can't remember what it was called, Noises in the Jungle or whatever the... Uh, yeah, like I Am the Night. And, right, um, and I think they self-released them like on their own label. Didn't they have parents finance it or something? Yeah, um, I mean, today it would just be Bandcamp, right? That they'd right, be putting all yeah. that stuff up, which again, to... But so Get they must have camp. the rights. The family must have the rights to them. But maybe the family, who knows? You know, maybe Vinny and Dime themselves actually said, like, we don't want these ever released again. And maybe the family is just honoring that wish. We just don't know, do we? Yeah. Yeah. And if there is uh, something out there that really offers a very clear kind of explanation about that stuff like feel free to link it oh, yeah, in the show know. Yeah. you know in the in the conversation after the episode uh let's see earl said this is what i like about the metal community different tastes spanning across different generations for one single band i found pantera through an aussie compilation cd that had five minutes alone on it loved it my first purchase was this album then i worked backwards from there each album is pretty detailed snapshot of where the band was in their lives uh, Cowboys from Hell was the transition from hair to thrash, transitioning into a bigger market outside of Texas. Vulgar was them at their most focused and determined. Tight, furious, and sharp. Far Beyond was when the success and real debauchery kicked in. Trend Kill is the fallout of that excess. Um, reinventing should have been titled Recapturing, trying to keep alive what was already doomed to end. Uh, I don't think the Phil era of Pantera has put out a bad album. I can't speak of previous releases uh, as I've never listened to them. Plus, the hair metal side is not my thing. Um, he said, I'd never thought of this as the fall of Phil Anselmo. I have listened to this album the most since the day I bought it. As I've said on my previous post, this is my favorite as it's the most vicious. Uh, let's see. Uh-huh. Uh, Tortoise said, Great Southern Trend Kill and Suicide Number 2 are easily my favorites, but given they are effectively what modern thrash fans are playing now, it's no surprise. Uh, Crater <laughs> or Overkill would certainly play those and no one would bat an eye. Yep, that's true. Uh Eowyn said, love this episode. It was a massive Pantera fan, but fell off at this album, which sounded to my ears like a mix of Pantera B-sides with Alice in Chains B-sides, except the standout Drag the Waters. Anyway, the discussion made me realize that 96 Me had completely missed how interesting the album is as part of the Pantera story, even if I'm still a bit uh, meh on the actual songs. Well, I think that, I think all of us missed that. Like, unless that's not... The depth of what we know, and even now it's still kind of shrouded in some mystery, but the, like, the depth of what we do know about that period of Pantera is not necessarily what you'd be reading about in Hit Parader, right? No, I mean, this absolutely. is pre-internet being able to dig into in detail like you know, everything about what was happening with the band and stuff like that. And so I do feel like we were shielded from a lot of – there's so many stories that we were unaware of in metal during the 80s and 
you know, 90s that today would just be, we would know about them as they were happening. Yeah. Like we, and, would, we would be reading about them uh, through a series of tweets as, you yeah. know, as that stuff was, <laughs> was kind of going on. And I think, I think it would accelerate the demise of like this situation with Pantera. Like in today, that band would have fell apart a lot quicker because all maybe, that, like maybe. as much scrutiny as they had and they railed against from the music press and all that kind of stuff. Like, Imagine that today. It would just be unrelenting. And that ties in actually to the album we're going to talk about today, like quite a bit. The 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 lack of information that was yeah. around at that time. Although it also you say reminding me that Southern Chenka was ninety six. Ten years between that album and this. Can you believe that? Ten only ten years? <laughs> between yeah. like separates these two albums in terms of the culture and what was considered metal. That's astounding. Oh my goodness. Well, it speaks <laughs> to that sort of acceleration, right? Of like everything now. Yeah. Um, true. Uh, just a couple more quick contents here. Todd said, after listening to this episode of Tio and the, your favorite band sucks podcast, Pantera sucks episode back to back. I realized it was time I revisited Pantera's hair metal discography. One thing that really jumps out at me is how much better I like dime uh, Dime's lead tone on the guitar solos on the earlier stuff. Although I think he always had a great rhythm guitar tone, I felt his lead tone was a little bit too processed slash digital sounding for my personal taste, starting with Cowboys and consistently moving further in that direction. Uh, that is interesting. Yeah, because he has such a distinctive tone. Yeah, although I don't know whether... I mean, was it that processed? I know he had a lot of, you know, wah and, and stuff on it, but I don't know. It never felt artificial to me. He was just really good with the wire and at string bends and stuff, you know. Way I'm going to go back and listen just to the solos of the early stuff versus the new stuff. Hmm. But that's interesting. That, that makes me think I need to go back and listen to some of that stuff. Uh, Dave said, I dislike Pantera and still do for the most part, but I'm really glad I listened to this episode. There was some great conversation. Musically, I think they're okay, but Pantera's macho vibe and lyrics just never worked for me. I've also had bad experiences with people who took that too far and wanted to fight at the drop of a hat. Over the years, I've read and seen some stuff that uh, made me think that Dime and some of the other members were actually pretty cool, and I've seen some stuff that indicated Phil was not. So I've decided my problem with Pantera was <laughs> Phil. I had no idea he had drug addiction that bad. It was like learning Flash Thompson was bullied by his dad. Give me some empathy for a person I tended to villainize. Yeah, Interesting. well, and, I mean, we did talk about that a lot on the episode, didn't we? That, you know, Phil was clearly... And without trying to excuse anything he did at the same time, he was clearly in a lot of genuine, both physical and mental pain at that time in his life. And, and during the recording of that album, uh, and you really can hear it come out. Uh, uh, and then the last comment oh here, I'll just say Andy brought up the uh, band third base, which if you know that he said not metal related at all, but I was thinking about Brian's my lady doth protest too much comment about Phil and Pantera railing against supposed bandwagon metal and thinking, has there ever been a funnier example of this than third bases pop goes the weasel. If you don't remember third base was two white MCs who made their fame calling out other white MCs like vanilla ice in this video. So not only do we have white rappers, we have the white rapper police <laughs> and he linked to the third base pop goes the weasel video. Uh, that video was on MTV all the time back in the day. So as soon as he mentioned them, that song popped into my head. 
Oh, that that completely passed me by. I had never heard of that before. Well, you're not missing much. So uh, <laughs> I don't feel like you need to make time in your day to go back to that. But for anybody that does remember third base, like that's a that's a good one there. And uh, yeah, so again, awesome comments and conversation and discussion happening um, in the notes for the episode on Facebook there. So if uh, if you want to check that out, it's facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. It is, absolutely. Uh, and remember, of course, if you want to help support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash thrash it out. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Stormwitch. And it's funny, actually, that you mentioned how more accessible, not just the social media aspect, but also how much more, how easier it is these days to listen to anything, because all of Stormwitch's music is now on stuff like Spotify, um, which did not exist in the 80s and 90s. And that was really not the case. So without without giving me any details, I just want to ask you one question. Did you look anything up about the band before you gave the record an initial listen? No. Right. Good. But I did subsequently. I sure. didn't li- I just listened straight through to the album when I first when you first mentioned it. Sure. But um something that I and we can circle back around this to later, but something that makes me think about is I think we have the same problem now, but for a different reason. In the past, it was a lack of information. Right now, it's too much information. Mm. And I feel like bands like this, and there's probably a million of them today, that get lost in the noise. And you don't discover because there's so much out there that it's overwhelming. Like the the curation factor Is is still a problem. Yeah. Like it was a problem back then because what got curated to you was what was on MTV or what was in the magazine so that you were picking up on the newsstand. The problem today is there there's a lack of curation or in some cases the curation systems that are out there just aren't very good. And so uh, it's a similar problem in that way. Like I wonder where a storm witch would fit. I, I guess maybe it would come up with the algorithm of if you like this, you might like this. Maybe, um, you yeah. know, on some of those kind of streaming things, but I feel like that's the discoverability is still an issue today, but for a completely different reason. There's too much information out there. Well, and the other aspect of curation was whether it was available in your local record store. Like, even if you'd read about it in a magazine, you know, did they have it at your store? Because let's be honest, you know, most of us did not go to the trouble of ordering records uh, at the store. Because you know, was, that's a great point. It was a real hassle. You know, you expected the store to carry stuff. And and this is this all ties into how I heard this album, how I found this album. And that's because I don't remember. I do not remember exactly how I got this album. I know I didn't buy it in a store. That's the one thing I know for, for certain is that I did not buy this in a store. But how I actually did come by it, is kind of lost to the mists of time. And I asked a few of my friends from that time, you know, that I'm still in touch with, my old friends, and I was like, do you remember this album? And they're like, fucking hell, God, I haven't listened to that in donkey's years. You know, yeah, I remember that. And I was like, do you remember how any of us, who who bought this? How did it come to be in our circle of friends? And nobody remembers. (laughs) I have the vinyl on my shelf, and I'm sure that it wasn't me that bought it. I could have sworn that it was one of those friends had bought it like at a a car boot sale, which is kind of like a yard sale, but with people's cars and long story. Uh, but basically had bought it secondhand off a person, you know, at a, at a 
flea market essentially uh and then i'd taken it off them for some other reason but nobody else has any memory of that and nobody remembers how we came by it <laughs> but the one thing we did all remember and the one thing that really stuck with me was this was all we knew about this band i mean we picked it up on a on a on a laugh because the cover as anybody will see if they've seen the, the sh art you know the cover in the show notes is terrible it is even uh, by I'm the standards gonna, let's agree to disagree <laughs> well on it, that what i mean is even by the standards of the time it is laughably amateurish it is hilariously 80s bad but oh it's it's uh you know full moon features b uh, movie it, it b really horror is. movie Not yeah made b, on a shoestring budget yeah uh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I, it feels like they actually walked on the set of a B horror movie that was filming and was like, "Hey, can we just get like fifteen minutes?" I mean, in even this B set movie, that put together. It, it looks more like a stage show that somebody took a photo of. You know, oh, I um, know it's so the, good, dude. It reminds me of the old Wasp covers from back in the right. day. Right, and the inner sleeve as well is just the inner sleeve is type done on a typewriter. It is literally done on an electric, the lyrics so are typed good. out on an electric typewriter. And then one of the guys, the principal songwriter, drew some like spiders and rats and stuff sure and cobwebs did. with a ballpoint pen. And then they just photographed it in reverse so that it's white on black. It is so incredibly low budget. Like I say, it was. Um, it's amazing. Oh, it really and is. And the photos of the band on the back. Oh my God. I'm they so are... glad you're bringing all of this up. It, it, it's a treasure. It, and it, it, go on, like go on. in terms of a Halloween episode, this is a treat, right? <laughs> if we're trick or treating, you brought such a treat to this episode and I'm so happy. It's also an episode for everybody that has been waiting for when are the hair metal albums going to come up and when and i know there's yeah, yeah, at least yeah. seven or eight of you out there in all of our listenership that are excited for that like it, it this is that episode and it has everything it's a it's an this is an album for the horror fans out there this is an album for the D D fans out there this is an album for the like the crappy low budget um you know horror fans it there's so much to love here yeah if you have that, any sense of like camp or, oh, I, or schlock it's or so irony, good. then yeah, this is the Halloween album for you. But this oh, is the 100%. thing, because we knew nothing about them, like all I could tell, well, I, I guessed, even before I knew anything, looked up anything about the band, I guessed that they were all using English-sounding pseudonyms uh, because the, band's, the band members are Lee Tarot, Steve Merchant, Andy Aldrian, which isn't even a name, Ronnie Pearson and Pete Lancer. <laughs> and, and like, and it's, they're so obviously names that they've gone. That sounds like an English name. We'll have that so that we can sell records in uh, England. Their real names were Harold Spengler, Stefan Kaufman, Andy Much, Thomas Gleisberg and Peter Lenger. Uh, just, Yeah. Brilliant. So, like I said, we knew nothing about them other than they were obviously massive. You can tell by the photos, they're massive Iron Maiden fans. I mean, the music as well. Um, Germans pretending to be English. And I assumed it was their first album. It's not. It's their, Bro, third, it's their third. It's their third album as Stormwitch. And, and they were in another band before that. <laughs> and... They did seven albums in the first run of this yeah. band. And yeah. then there's a 2000s version that kind of came back. But yes, this is a band that if you saw this out, the, the, first of all, 
the fact that this album is not featured in the movie Trick or Treat, <laughs> it, it really, it hurts me. Because that's one of the great things about that movie with uh, with Skippy from uh, Family Ties uh, back in the day. But it, it had so many great album covers that they purposefully, like, showed shots of during the thing. And the fact that Stormwitch is not, unless it is, and I missed it, but I, I do not know. Because I would have sought them out. Uh, that's such a such a milestone uh, movie for me but yeah this but this is an album cover like if you saw this you'd be like this is the only album this band ever made yeah exactly but yeah. you'd be like oh this uh, <laughs> they must have just came and went and somehow put an album out like during this time but i uh, i never heard of them before or since but yeah but not only is it not their only album far from it but most of them stayed in the music business in one way or another like harold spengler uh, aka lee tarot who was the like i say the main songwriter apparently went into management after he left Stormwitch. He's dead now, unfortunately. He died of a stroke uh, several years ago. Um, But yeah, he went into management, apparently. And three of the other members are now in a band called Stormbound or Witchbound or something like that. Um, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, with, with a couple of other musicians. Like, yeah, these guys are still around. They're still out there. But yeah. I'm going to say this, Anthony, as they should be. Well, the, the the problem was, and this is, again, this all ties into why I actually kind of like this album. They came from a really small town. They are from a town called Heidenheim an der Brenz in southern Germany, which is a small town of like 50,000 people. There's no scene there, or there wasn't in the 80s. I, I saw them talking about this in an interview. There was no scene. They had no budget, but they were kids who wanted to escape, and they worshipped Iron Maiden. Like the first uh, time that one of them got an Iron Maiden album, and I think it might have been Number of the Beast, it just completely blew their minds. Um, you know, they were just like, this is it. This is what we need to do. Uh, and so they formed a band and, you know, tried to get a record deal and everything as you do. Um, and that's, you can tell, like they're good musicians. They are genuinely good musicians, but they are also, on this album at least, imitators. Like that, you can tell they so badly want to be Iron Maiden, and this album. Even though I was in my early twenties when I first heard this, when it, as I say, it mysteriously came into my possession, <laughs> um, this album makes me feel fourteen years old again. Whenever I hear it, oh my it. god, dude! And that is what I love about it. It is like the Halloween album, like Keeper of the Seven Keys. It just yes. makes me feel like a teenager, you know, surrounded by my. Dungeons and Dragons sets and reading fantasy and sci-fi and and horror and just you know thinking having really really deep and meaningful thoughts. Uh, I'm gonna and generally being a teenager, I love it. I'm gonna give this one of the highest compliments that I can give it. In that this is now going to be the album that I start listening to at the beginning of October. <laughs> the way that I start listening to Trans Siberian Orchestra at the beginning of December. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That that's now this album for me. It's, it is it is the October album. Period. It, it's so um, sincere. Oh my god! There's so good. no irony at all on this album, and that it's kind of adorable. Like the last track, the last track is an instrumental, and on the lyric sheet it oh, says yes. "instrumental" metal. Oh, with an exclamation mark. And you, that's right. You just know in case you forgot. <laughs> You just know that they're they're a hundred percent sincere about that. Oh, they- dude, they high fived after that. Like whoever <laughs> wrote that in the liner notes was like, "Check this out." Yeah. And as someone who really appreciates a good dad joke, 
bring it. Yeah, I, no, like, I love I, it. I love it. That, but that's what I mean about like it makes me feel like a teenager again. How can you not love that? How can you not see that and go, oh god, yeah, yeah, I would have done that when I was like 15, 16 years old as well. Absolutely. <laughs> and and here's the thing, like, dude, it took them five studio albums in before they made the album Eye of the Storm. Their first album uh, titles were Walpurgis Night, Tales of Terror, Stronger Than Heaven, The Beauty and the Beast, and then Eye of the Storm. Most bands would have done Eye of the Storm as their first album. They certainly would nowadays. Storm Witch. Yeah. Eye of the Storm, yeah. right off the bat. They didn't do Dance with the Witches until 2002. <laughs> so there was a lot of creativity before they started running out of ideas. And you see that although that didn't necessarily make it into, uh, I will say they had a lot of ideas. Yeah. The depth of them, maybe not, maybe <laughs> yeah. not so much, but lots of good ideas. And then it was like, that's a song. Yeah. They yeah. they called themselves masters, the masters of black romantic, which oh, I always. You must have read the same interview I did, which is awesome. Well, the thing, I mean, that's on the sleeve. That's literally, that's on the lyrics. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's on the other side of the inner sleeve. The lyrics on one side and then the credits on the other. And the credits on the other is a big spider's web. And in big gothic lettering across the middle, it says the masters of black romantic, which <laughs> is great. But also I realized reading a bit about them, I think, and I, I know we have some German listeners, so please like write in and tell us if this is true i think that's what they call gothic literature in germany yeah, I, I, I have a thing on that so um oh, okay. there was an interview that andy the singer did with headbanger alley back in 2011 and the interviewer said you named yourselves as the masters of the black romantic and that became inher- an inherent part of the band how do you explain this and he said black romantic was a period in the english literature it's also called gothic he ah, said um go. and he listed some influences H. Walpole's The Castle of Otranto, Anne Radcliffe's The Mysteries of Adolfo, and The Monk from M.G. Lewis were examples that he cited as far as um, lots of scenes of old castles and monasteries. We always loved the atmosphere of such places. And in our fantasy, we lived inside of these thrilling stories. Many people have longings for such places and stories. Which is Absolutely true. And I mean, you get 100%, that. 100%, dude. You, yeah, you completely get that from this album. But I, because it occurred to me, I'd never thought about this before, that of course, the word gothic means something very, very different to Germans. Uh, and so you couldn't call it gothic literature. You couldn't just use a direct translation. Um, and so, yeah, I suddenly thought, oh, maybe that's what they called gothic literature uh, over there. Um, which makes the... In a way, it spoils it because it makes the name sound a little less pretentious. <laughs> Whereas when I just thought they were being pretentious, I kind of loved it. <laughs> I'm going to stop using the term gothic and refer to everything in that genre now as black romantic <laughs> as black because romantic. I actually think it's better. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, as you can, I'm sure you can all tell from listening to this, it's just, it's one of those albums that mm. I. I started listening to, well, when we first put it on, we just laughed. We all laughed because we were like, wow, you know, these guys really want to be Iron Maiden. Um, But it did kind of wend its way into my mind. And now I still, I mean, there is still a level of irony there because it is so camp and so, in some ways, amateurish and naive. But also they're, they're decent songs. And 
like I say, it kind of transports me back to being a teenager, which I kind of love now being now that I'm, I'm no longer a teenager. <laughs> it's been a long time since I was. I kind of love that it has the ability to do that. I'll take it one step further. These guys are great musicians. And this, like while the songs, each individual song themselves, some of them obviously stand out more than others and things like that. But the musicianship is there. Yep. They clearly were able to capture the vibe of, I think, multiple different bands. And this album is a journey. Yes, like, it is. It, yeah, it's well, well like, constructed, I think, yeah. Totally. I think the one thing you could levy against them is the image and the lyrics you can certainly have a good laugh at. From a musical standpoint, if they had a different image and different lyrics, the music itself, I think, is fantastic. Now, I love the image, and I love... I love the lyrics. Like I love the whole package with this. Let me be clear about that. But if you start to pull those pieces apart, like the music is excellent. And, it is. Um, and, well, and yeah, I mean, there's some real, they cover a lot of ground on this album. It's the musicianship is excellent. Yes. The, so, the songwriting, the, the, and this is a, this is an issue throughout the whole album for me. The, the songwriting is good. At no point is it bad. But there is nothing about it that you haven't heard before I from agree. several other bands. And I think that's one of the the issues. Like this is what I mean about it being like kind of imitative. Um, like I say, it's at no point is it bad and they do some things very well, but those things are all things that you've heard before. Yeah. And some of the puzzle pieces feel like they're a bit forced in to connecting with one another as opposed to a real good fit. Yeah, true. Like sometimes the the chorus is a big departure from what you would think and not not in a terrible way but also not not in a way that keeps the flow of the song there's a you few know, in a, yeah there's a few tracks on here you know, where i'm like where's the transition like there is no yeah, yeah, transition exactly. here. <laughs> and so that kind of stuff i think there's just like all the ingredients are there it yeah. doesn't always come out in a fully cooked song uh, just one other random fact they were apparently huge in Hungary, of all places. And this was back when Hungary was in the Eastern Bloc, behind the Iron Curtain. They were apparently huge over there. Go figure. I'm glad they were huge somewhere. Yeah. it's the. Uh, <clears throat> I read a couple of interviews, like retrospective interviews, with people like Steve Merchant uh, and uh, Pete Lancer. And they're both like, yeah, Hungary was the best time we ever had in our lives. They worshipped us in Hungary, and we have no idea why. <laughs> So uh, one other thing that came out of this interview that Andy did uh, back in 2011, uh, the the interviewer asked, at which point did you start writing material for your third album that became Stronger Than Heaven? And uh, Andy said, two weeks before we went into the studio, Lee Tarot and Stefan Kaufman closed themselves up in a room and came back after 14 days with the whole material. Stinking hungry and tired. He said, we had to fulfill the contract with Gamma every year an album. Now, I saw that, I saw that claim, but I also saw a later interview with Stephen Kaufman, a.k.a. Steve Merchant, where he debunked that, and he said that actually... Oh, interesting. ...that some of them were tracks they had written and played live at gigs beforehand. Um, now, it's possible for both those things to be true. It wouldn't sure. surprise me if maybe the two weeks were spent kind of refining and finalising the arrangements of yep. those tracks. But yeah, in that interview, I read that one, and Aldrian does kind of imply that they had nothing and then you know it all sprang fully formed two weeks later from their heads and uh, i don't think that's entirely true 
<laughs> but it's a good story. Yep. All right, let's talk about the songs then. Uh, so the album was released in 1986. As we said, there are eight songs and it's 37 minutes long. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's longer than Raining Blood. <laughs> which, yeah, there you go. So, you know, not that short. Um, and yeah, released on Gamma Records, which I don't think even exists anymore, which was uh, an independent label in Germany. And again, I saw in an interview, somebody asked Steve Merchant about, you know, sort of them being on an indie label. Uh and they said that part of the reason they liked that was because they had full creative control, like complete creative control over everything, which is obviously good. But then he was asked about the money and he said, well, this is independent music. You start with nothing and then you go into debt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that sounds about right. was a really good way of putting it. <laughs> so let's kick it off. Let's put the needle on the record, quite literally, because like I say, my copy is vinyl and start with the opening track, Rats in the Attic. Now, in newer versions of this album, they separate the intro from the actual opening track. Oh, do they? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Oh. They list it as track one, but it's the double, double toil and trouble, fire, burn, burn and cauldron bubble, you know, sort of witches uh, doing their their incantation before it kicks into the actual song. Well, it's it's literally Macbeth. That's a quote from Shakespeare. Yep. That's the witch's uh, part of the witch's uh, chant from Macbeth, which kind of gives you an idea of what you're in for. I mean, the whole track gives you an idea of what you're in for. You know, we've talked, we talk a lot about the first track being a sort of statement of intent about what you're going to get on the album. And this is very much that. This absolutely tells you this is what you're going to get on the album. But the fact that it starts, again, the pretension, starting with quoting well, Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, what I couldn't tell is, was was that from a movie? Like, was it from a movie version that they pulled a clip from? Or was it that they actually oh, got I see. someone to come in and just record it? Because it felt to me like it was actually a movie clip. Like, just the audio quality of it. I, I, oh. I feel like it, it felt to me like it was a movie cl- a clip. And I have no idea. I couldn't find anywhere 
that it listed that it was a movie clip. It certainly so maybe doesn't they say, just had someone come in and record it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say anywhere on the sleeve that it's sampled or anything. Um, right, so maybe there, they did just have it recorded. There is a credit on the album for somebody, for one person, for uh, synths and... What's he credited for? Hang on. It's, it says, thanks to Tom for synthesizers and sound sampling. But there are other samples on the album as well besides this so i just assumed that yeah it was that they got somebody in maybe it was one of the models off the cover i mean who knows <laughs> yep to uh you know to sort of do the witch's chant and then put some sound effects behind it um but now you've got me doubting i don't know but i just yeah, assumed it just, it was they that, yeah. he they list the witches by their first names in on the front cover but they don't they don't say anything other than that. Yeah, they don't say. I'm just anything. looking at the yeah. There's, at there's the liner no, notes. No mention of uh, who you know spoke the the chants or anything. Um, but to go back to what you said, I mean, clearly setting the tone. Yeah. For what? For maybe for what you're going to get because it then what you get is something akin to like Motley Crue's uh, Red Hot or or Live Wire. To me, that there's a very Motley Crue vibe to this first song, except for the chorus. Right. I feel like the chorus is a little more melodic, but I feel like the the sort of raw energy of this song almost gives the vibe of like being played live. And it it's um, in terms of musicianship, there's a lot more intricate songs on this album than this one. This one is a very sort of um, Motley Crue, Red Hot vibe to me that's true and i mean it is raw you know both in songwriting and sound uh i mean it (laughs) i don't think they recorded every track live as a band but you're right that it sounds like they could have done um steve merchant has said in interviews that he hates the sound of this album but the one thing i'll say is that like each individual instrument sounds pretty bad (laughs) in terms of the sound quality but you can hear them all you can yeah, hear absolutely. the guitars. The guitars and the drums sound kind of dull, but you can hear them separately, and you can hear the bass separated. You absolutely as. can hear the bass for it's, sure. You know, yeah, it's a low quality recording, but either, at least there is that sound separation, which you you know there are plenty. Of I mean, low quality recordings where you don't get that. One could make the case that this was recorded in an attic. <laughs> very good, very good. Maybe um, that's intentional, or at least I'd go with that. Ah. Uh, Rats in the attic, bats in the night, born Holy in the crap, fire the of hell, sensitive to light. <laughs> sensitive to light is my favorite what a line. part of that entire, oh. that might be my favorite lyric on the album. I'll I have to double check. Oh, the, the, but there's, sensitive there's one to other light. That, there's one other that's better for me. Uh, but it just in they're terms of- They're not averse to light, Anthony. They're not, uh, <laughs> they're, they're not uh, threatened by light. They're sensitive. You know, they're not destroyed by light. They're sensitive to it. They don't uh, care for it. But this, they're, this slight, is, they're sensitive to it. This is the what I meant about some, you know, other bands that we've talked about, including Halloween, the, the joy of non-native English speakers. And don't get me wrong, you know, considering that nat- clearly English, not their first language, these are damn better lyrics than I could ever write in German. I'm, you know, not knocking that. But Dude. the joy of non-native English speakers oh trying to find metaphors and rhymes and stuff 
sometimes produces these gems. And yeah, sense I cannot hear that line without cracking up. I love this it. This is <laughs> this the whole the lyrics to this entire album are the first draft NaNoWriMo project. <laughs> and then they just slapped it on the and they said, let's go. Go get in the booth and record it right yeah. now. Don't you want to double check and no, get in there. This is good. Rock and roll. Yeah. Oh man. Sensitive to light. I'm so glad you said that, dude. That's my favorite. It's, it's just, so good. It really is so good. So there's, but, but there's another line that cracks me up more. Gloss but over. Go on. Let's not uh, gloss over other lyrics like uh, "Your heart is beating like a drum on the battlefield." Yeah. <laughs> Don't think you're dreaming. The bite's reality. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Claws just uh, rats in the so rats in the attic. Bats in the night. Born in the fire of hell. Sensitive to light. Rats in the attic. Claws just like knives. Rats in the attic bound to take your life. Yep. What a chorus. Yeah. It's, yeah, so good. That, I mean, um, if you, did, if you, you know, weren't already kind of skeptical of rats, this song is going <laughs> to, it's really going to drive home the fact that you do not want rats in the attic. Yeah. Um, you can really hear the Maiden influence in the middle eight and the solo. I was yes, say I made that note too. Like yep, the middle right eight around, is so Maiden. Yep. Which I think is a theme that we see over and over and over again, right? Is this, uh, which again, like when they do that, they do it pretty well. Oh, they do it well. Even if it yeah. doesn't always fit perfectly. Um, but in this song, I think, and that's, but the, I, this uh, song is a good first track in the sense that even though it is a little bit more raw, it does a lot of the things that the rest of the album's going to do. You've got yeah. those melodic choruses, you've got these kind of breakdowns that are very Iron Maiden influenced. And you've got the cheesy lyrics. So you are getting, like, you're getting what you're going to get for the rest of the album. I just think that this one has a very sort of early Motley Crue vibe coming out of it. It's the shortest track on the album as well, which I was thinking, like, that's unusual, isn't it? I don't think. Yeah, because you'd think this whole album would all be three minute songs um, based on. There's that. But what I mean is, isn't it unusual for the opening track to be the shortest? And I haven't done any research into this. Maybe I'm wrong and it's actually quite common, but it feels weird to me. That That's a good question. Yeah, I just don't know. It's When I looked at the times, I was like, wait, hang on, really? Because it's 3 minutes 39, this, if you include the Witch's intro. Right. Christ, take out the Witch's intro, it's even shorter. Probably only 3 minutes. is what it's listed, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, as I say, I was just like, That's, that feels weird. But it is, it's a good opening track. It, it really does set you up for the rest of the album. It's... You know, one of the things they do do well on this album is that every song sounds different to the others. Um, Right. You know, uh, and so it's not, it doesn't set you up in the sense that they're all going to sound exactly like this. But in terms of the lyrics, the mood, as you said, like things like the melodic chorus and the maidenish bridges and what have you, it's, it's got all the ingredients. You know, one thing we don't get in this song is like a traditional solo. At the end, there's kind of, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good opening track. Yep, agreed. Moving on then, let's go to track two, and that is Eternia.
After the setup of the first song, I really thought this was going to be a He-Man tune. <laughs> and that's probably my only disappointment with it, because other than that, this is a great song. It's a little bit slower than, than the first one, and to me it has a very sort of Judas Priest Turbo era kind of groove to it. Um, also reminds me of a, of a band uh, called Mass, which had a great album called voices in the night back in the day. But yeah, this, this one, uh, this one is top to bottom. I really like. Yeah, no, me too. This is one of my favorite tracks on the album. This is one of the ones that sort of, you know, sticks in my head. Um, you know, and and if you moment to mention the album to me, this is one of the first tracks that I'd think of the intro here, I think is also a really good example. The, the distorted intro, I mean, is a really good example of how like, you know, the old saying that if you just, basically double the speed of most Nuobum, you get thrash. <laughs> I think that's absolutely Well, and there's a here. very <laughs> Dokken feel to this too. Like there's just the type of uh, like a Dream Warriors kind of mm. vibe to the to the way the guitars sound on this song, which I found throughout the album that that, that I, I had a good uh, Dokken vibe with a lot of it. And so... Um, but I think... Yeah, the, and the, the chorus too. The, the pre-chorus and the chorus on this one are some of the best on the album like unironically they are just really really good really catchy great melody it builds nicely it's just it's really well done um yeah and to go back to what we talked about before we even got into the songs of like this is a song where i feel like all the pieces fit together really well like it holds that flow throughout the song whereas in the first one i feel like the chorus is a little bit it could have been dropped in from anywhere else yeah yeah, like it it felt like it wasn't totally perfectly aligned to the rest of the song. Still a good song, but this one I felt like everything kind of came together on this one from the riff to the chorus, they're both great. You get a great solo here. Um all of it kind of fits together and this song is like 350. It's like 4 minutes this yeah. song and it it felt like it's a good length. It's like really nice kind of overall package here the, the change at the end as well before the final chorus where they repeat the intro but then they do that sort of climb down on the chords i think that's really nice that's uh that, that's kind of like the first original really original piece on the album um yeah because you wouldn't you know that you can think of plenty of bands who would never think of doing that and i really like that however this does have and like i say i genuinely like the song it's one of my favorites on the album but it genuinely has my the funniest line in a song on the whole album for me. Oh, and wait, can, can I, can I try to guess it? Go on. Let's see. Uh, da, da, da. Okay. Oh, it might be mine. Is it the new dawn is still wet with dew? <laughs> no, no, that, I mean, that's just, <laughs> you know, yeah, that that's just a, a great example. I think of once again, of uh, non-native English speakers. No, it's in the second pre-chorus when he sings you need no silver no gold whether you are young or quite old <laughs> that weak modifier quite old who yeah where, when did you ever hear the word quite in a heavy metal song <laughs> it fits perfectly yeah just... quite well i mean in the first song you've got sensitive in the second song you've got quite i feel like whether you're young or quite old quite yeah. old not not very yeah. old but quite old <laughs> And the cool thing is, like, oh, this seems like a club I might want to have a membership in. And no, you actually don't. Like, no, hey, no. everybody's welcome, whether yeah. you're young or quite old. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, again, I can't hear that line without cracking up every single time. It just, it kills me. 
But this like, song does the nice thing too of like the song. yeah, like the acoustic kind of uh rhythm to start off with and then the guitars kick in with yeah. the killer riff and it's just really well done this is a, a great track it, it really is um but it is not even though it is longer than the opening it is not the epic on the album because that is next that is track three jonathan's diary What a track. <laughs> I mean, it is the longest track on the album. This is a proper epic at seven and a half minutes long. Yeah. Um, massive Phantom of the Opera vibes at the start from the bass line. Yes. Uh, uh, and just, there's, I mean, it, it's a retelling of Dracula, uh, you know, sort of John, the Jonathan in question being Jonathan Harker. Um, it is so clearly their attempt at a sort of Rime of the Ancient Mariner style epic and it it almost gets there but it it falls a little short because there are just there's one too many one too much uh one too many grams of cheese <laughs> if you like i mean this whole album is it like a 10 ton block of cheese but yeah. this track in particular there is so much cheese in it that it unfortunately kind of undoes the the good <laughs> i think i agree completely with you on that it does get really close to being that epic and you know how i feel about songs over a certain length yeah and them most of them not justifying themselves and what i will say is that this song does at seven and a half minutes it does justify itself it goes places uh there's everything from halloween and iron maiden to early queensreich songs like child of fire um like the, I'm interested, like our, our buddy Phil, who I think w- I'm interested to hear kind of what he thinks about a song like this, but like King Diamond in here. Um, and my note on it is never quite rises to the level of like a Halloween epic, but I dig the changes of pace and I, and I, I like what they went for here and I feel like it mostly succeeds. Yeah. It, it's not boring. Like that's the thing. It's, it is seven and a half minutes long, but it doesn't necessarily feel it because none of the parts outstay their welcome. And I've got to give them credit for that. Um, but yeah, the, the cheese, I mean, there's musical cheese in the, the predictable acoustic middle section where, yeah, like I'm amazed that they haven't got somebody reading a passage from Dracula in that section because it's a public domain book. They could have done it. 
Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, why isn't somebody reading a passage from Dracula? That that would be, I mean, it would be cheesy, my God, but it would be perfect. Um, you've got the, the little upward flourish on the bass during the chorus, which delights me because it is so incongruous. You've got this grand vampire epic tale being told and then at the end of the chorus line when he sings jonathan's diary the bass goes do 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 it just <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome it's like it's almost as if he's like i'm gonna get a fucking flourish in here if it kills me somewhere in this yeah. song <laughs> well and then it like just before the six minute mark it goes into like motorhead mode oh yeah yeah when it speeds up yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it's a very like, to me. It feels very Motorhead there, but but you mentioned that you know the this being the retelling of Dracula. There's a huge difference in the density of lyrics compared to the first two songs. Yes, like the first two songs were an idea that really wasn't fully fleshed out from a lyrical standpoint. Whereas this one is, we have a lot of ground to cover, and we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to fit it all into this uh we're trying to tell a story here obviously and and we're going to try and fit it all in this song and just like the density of the lyrical content compared to the first two is like orders of magnitude greater there is a lot yeah massive lyrics in this um here's a sort of related interesting thing that i came across the other day i didn't know this that there are different different languages tend to lend themselves to different kinds of singing uh, I can't remember the actual terms, but apparently the, the Germanic languages, it is sort of more natural to sing with every syllable being a different note. So unlike, say, you know, you've got your Whitney Houstons who do, you know, would do like 20 notes in a single syllable, just stretch it out. Yeah, that's that's normal. That sort of feels natural for English, but not for German, apparently. Um and I was like, yeah, actually thinking about all the German metal bands, like Halloween and God knows who else, all the German rock and metal bands and singers, they do sing in a very sort of every every note is a different syllable and every syllable is a different note. Um, and the reason I mention it here is because the way they phrase a lot of the lines here, there's a lot of lyrics, a lot of the lines are very long, but the way they phrase them to an English speaker sounds really odd. And I think it's because of that. It's because they're getting all those syllables in on the beats, which makes them, you know, enables them to fit long lyrics into the lines, but means that you can get some really strange phrasing at the same time. Well, yeah. And some that feel like extremely rushed too, right? Where he's, you know, like, because he has good range on, I mean, there's, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he goes up there in a lot of these songs. But yeah, when when they're trying to pack so many, um, lyrics into a line or a verse or something like that. Like sometimes it feels a bit rushed. Again, it it goes back to that kind of raw and first pass feeling, you know, in some ways that the delivery isn't always perfect. No, it, it, it's really not. Um, also, his bless him, his pronunciation. There's one, if you haven't got the lyrics in front of you, you might miss it. But if you're reading along, at one point he sings, Fog ascends from the valley. Except he doesn't say that. He says fog ascends from the wally. <laughs> I was just like, oh, bless you. <laughs> this is clearly a man who's not that familiar with English. Uh, just, yeah, giving it a bit of German mispronunciation. Um, it's such a weird track. Like, again, it, it, it's almost there. It almost gets there. But the, it just falls short. And the the 
we mentioned transitions or the lack of them at the end of this after the fast section when they switch back to the final chorus there is no transition it is clunky as hell yeah <laughs> but but back to your point like they get close enough here and i like the ambition of it oh yeah especially yeah. on an album like this that you know like the camp factor is high the cheese factor is high they're clearly going for a vibe on this album and they have their epic and it doesn't overstay its welcome it is a little bit it is a little bit like you know like the carriage careening around the mountain path and almost falling off the side of the cliff but they hold it together <laughs> enough that that it actually you know gets there in the end and so while it doesn't maybe hit the level of some of those epics that we truly love um it doesn't break the cardinal rule of like failing to justify its length absolutely and yeah, I mean, you're right. The ambition. Yeah, if you're going to do an album like this, hey, why not deal with one of the most celebrated works of literature in the Western horror canon? You know, <laughs> why not? Let's go for it. <laughs> well, right, because like you don't listen to this song and go, oh, this song really needed to be cut down. We could have lost a minute from this song and, and it would have been a much better song. It's like, no, this song holds together for like it. It goes places. But at the end of the day, like all the pieces, justifies- need, they all belong there. They all need to be. Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last track on side one, then, because again, like I say, I'll keep referring to my vinyl copy of this, uh, is track four, Slave to Moonlight. wonder what this is about <laughs> right the, the <laughs> i don't know let's see if we can unravel the mystery the song starts with a wolf's howl yeah. um which is our first clue as to what they're building towards here with a song called slave to moonlight um this one rips dude it's just straight ahead mm. great riff great bass in this one um i feel like it's a great not even palate cleanser, but like we've just been through a seven and a half minute epic. This is a four minute straight ahead rocker. Yeah, I mean, if and I'm surprised like about anything, I'm surprised that actually that Jonathan's Diary isn't the last track on this yes. side. Yeah. You know, given that this was, again, done in the era when vinyl and cassettes was it. There were no CDs. There was no continuous play. Everything had two sides. Um yeah, I've always been surprised that Jonathan's Diary isn't the last track on this side, that this isn't track three. Um, but, you know, go figure. But yeah, you're right. It, it is, it's a bit of a rip snorter, isn't it? It's uh, My first yeah. note on this is, Mom, the bassist showing off again. 
Yep. <laughs> Which uh, I, being a fan of bass, like there, oh, yeah. there are, uh, you know, he, he grabs the spotlight in some of these songs in a way that's really funny. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I knew you'd love it. He really, he's clearly very much like, Hey, I'm really good at the bass. Did you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Check this out. But that goes back to what we were saying before about the musicianship, right? Like even, even within the, the sort of super cheese factor that we have going on here, like they, you know, they they have their time to shine. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, they, these, oh man, the lyrics. I feel the curse is coming. True again, metamorphosis. My clothing gets so tight. <laughs> like, oh really? Who does it? Uh, but the, the chorus is really good here. This is another proper sing-along chorus. You know, slave to moonlight, prowling in the blue night. Yes, um, you know that is it's a really, really musically and lyrically, it's a good sing along chorus. Uh, the middle eight is a bit of a misstep, I think, on this one. It's just not, it's just not very good. Um, you know, there the are far better middle eights on this, uh, and the transition again from the middle eight back into the chorus. It once again is clunky. <laughs> It's just like there's no attempt at trying to marry those two things together. Um, But overall, it's all right. I like the little coda at the end with the rising chords. That's nice. And, you know, it's it is a good end to the song. At the end, too, of, uh, you know, my conscience, my conscience has been fading away like a flame in the mist. I bark at the pale orb. The curse (laughs) is too strong to resist. When the morning comes, I know what I've done when I'm lying naked in the sun. Yeah. I bark at the pale orb. <laughs> oh, God. That um, has the title of a short story written all over it. <laughs> yeah. I bark at the pale That's orb. a Harlan Ellison story, isn't it? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere out there. <laughs> so good. Uh, so we flip it over. Side two. And the first track is track five. Title track, Stronger Than Heaven. like this is a fantastic track to open the second side i I agree yeah this one has a quiet riot vibe to it in the way that it sort of comes in the riff might be my favorite riff on the entire album oh wow uh when it kicks in it's so good and it, it it does really remind me of quiet riot 
Um, a little bit of Holy Diver in this yes. kind of groove to this song, too. Um, the lyrics are just unbelievable. But um, <laughs> Well, and it starts with another witch's brew, doesn't it? You know, even though it's not the yeah. witches shouting it, but it's still the same. You know, it, it's a shouted thing from the band, but mandrakes, three black feathers, dried up toads and rats, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so bad. Um, it's so bad. I, I actually feel like if they had gotten – if they did have someone come in and record the original intro to the album, it would have been great to have them come back for this song because right, them yeah. doing it – as the band, it's, just, it's, it's not. It's not great. Um, no, it's not great. But I'm glad that you made the Dio comparison because I was thinking for ages, and this comes back to me not being, as we said when we did the episode, not being familiar with Dio, like, you know, years and years ago. The, the rhythm of the verse has always reminded me of somebody, and I could never just think who. There's something about the delivery of vocals over this particular riff and i kept thinking it's not maiden who am i thinking of and i then i started thinking is it saxon maybe and then i realized no it's dio and it's holy diver um i hear it in the chorus because oh, when really? they when they sing stronger than heaven it goes dan, da, da, dan, da, da, dan, dan, dan. oh yes that is very holy diver and it took me a few listens to be like, oh, that's what that is. That's where I get it. It's not exactly the same, but it's very close. close. Enough, and, yeah. and so, uh, you know, between that and the Quiet Riot vibe and just how great that first riff is when it comes in, um, because overall, I think the chorus is pr- not as strong as some of the choruses that we've heard so far on the album. I actually feel like the the main sort of rhythm there um, and the main riff that they start out with is really, really great. But it as a, as it holds together um as a song i really think it's a great opener for the second half of the album well and the the thing about the chorus i think it's a it's a good chorus it's not a great chorus but it's a good chorus but the one thing that is good about it you can really imagine a crowd singing along to this Oh, for sure. You know, you imagine they start, you know, being at a gig and they started playing this. If you're a fan, obviously, you know, this is one that you can absolutely sing along to every word of the chorus. Uh, well, yeah. and make no mistake, they get up there, I'm sure, on the front of the stage, get everybody clapping in time, yes. and then start singing <laughs> Mandrake's Three Black Feathers, <laughs> yeah. and the crowd shouts it back at them. And oh, then, God, like, yeah. So this is a song, without a shadow of a doubt, that was made for playing live. It's very anthemic. Oh, I kind of want to um, see it now. I-, <laughs> I can see them actually stopping at some point in the song and just having the crowd shout stronger than heaven. In rhythm. Like, like yeah. In yeah. rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, um, no, I'm imagining it in my mind now, and I'm thinking, actually, yeah, that'd be fucking cool. <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> well, and if they had the crowd sort of chanting the beginning, and then they kick in with that riff, yeah, yeah, like I could see, I could see getting real pumped up listening to that song live for sure. Yeah, it's. Uh, I always forget this one speeds up at the end as well. Like it does that, yeah. the, the double time yeah. thing, and and does the chorus over the you know over sort of regular speed drums. Uh, that always catches me by surprise. But it is a good track. It's uh, yeah, it's it's not the best track on the album, but it is a good way to open a side. Um, and like I say, you can sing along, you know, and you you feel the urge to sing along, or I always do. For anyway. sure, I feel like all, uh, pretty much all of the songs on this album are good sing along songs in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's the chorus or some of the lyrics, or um, you know, there's one in uh, I forget what song it was. Oh, I think it was Eternia where they they do the sort of hey 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 thing where you get like a fist pumping you know anthemic 
part to it. But yeah, this this definitely feels like that album. Yeah. Well, th- there's one track which we haven't got to yet uh, that, where I, I would disagree on that. But yeah, for the most part, it's very much a melodic sort of sing-along album for sure. Um, track six then is Raven Lord. How do you not love this song? Some of you out there may know this track because it was covered by Hammerfall on their debut album, uh, which apparently sparked a bit of a sort of resurgence of interest in Stormwitch. Um, it's an okay cover. It, like It's nothing special. And actually, I think the chorus on that cover is weaker than the chorus here uh, because they don't double track the vocals in the same way. But I am glad that it brought people, you know, to this album and Stormwitch to their attention. This is one of my favourite tracks on the album. Like, it may even be my favourite track on the album. I'm not sure. Uh, it's kind of difficult to say, to be honest. But I really, really like this. I think musically, this is the closest they get to Halloween, which might have something to do with why I like yeah. it a lot. But it's it's a well-constructed song. It's got a great pre-chorus and chorus. Um, again, you can sing along to it. It's got like, some great riffs. My only knock, and it's and this is, you know, it's not really fair of me to knock it this at all, but my only knock is I actually don't know what this is about. Like every other song on the album, you know exactly what it's about. Oh, this is the one about werewolves. Oh, this is the one about witches. Oh, this is the one about vampires. This is the one about rats in the attic. Um, what's this one about? I have no idea. Oh, I just assumed it was about Castle Ravenloft. That's <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, maybe you're right. I don't know. Um, oh, I thought this was completely a D and D reference in this. Uh, but the, in this song. but isn't that vampires? And they do that in another track, in a different. Well, they, they do, do. It in two other different tracks. Um, but there's there's a whole um, Raven Lord takes you far. I mean, maybe maybe this is another song about like the Grim Reaper and sort of passing away and that kind of stuff. Because but when they're they're talking about like the Raven Lord takes you far away. Um, fogs rising out in the fields you know mm. dark shadows fall from the sky like i to me there's an element of like being transported somewhere else which is like the central concept of ravenloft as a setting and um raven well, lord is coming to stay and ravens um, are you know ominous portents they have you know e- everybody sure. knows that anyway yeah um but yeah it just seems odd that for an album where every other song is very, very specifically about a thing. Yes. That this yeah, one they're is very n- literal in all the other songs. Right, and this one is not. I mean, maybe that's also why it's one of my favourites. <laughs> I don't know. Um, because it's not so on the nose. Right, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I had wondered, I started to wonder if it was supposed to be like the fairy Winter King. But again, it's not. I feel like if it was, they would be much more explicit about it, you know? There'd be m- many more references to fairies and, uh, you know, the land of 
the Fey and all that stuff. And and there's none of that. So yeah, yeah, weird. But like I say, genuinely, really, really great track. Um, good again, sing along chorus. Uh, well constructed, well written, some good riffs, well played. Yeah, I really yep. like this one. The the riffs sound great. They have that kind of razor blade feel to them, which I really like on this song. It's it's aggressive, at, and I put not as cheesy, but I think it goes to your point. Anthony about it just not as on the nose. Yeah. You know, where it is, it is leaves a little to the imagination there. Um, I mean, make no mistake priest vibe and Halloween vibe on this one for me, for sure. Oh, I hadn't thought about the priest vibe. Yeah. I suppose there is a little bit, but I mean, make no mistake. There is still cheese, you know, the core, the chorus. Can you, I think we have to establish that there's a level of cheese. (laughs) There's a foundation of (laughs) cheese that we're operating from on this. And then it only goes up. Yeah. Like, so in this one here, like, they're not putting extra cheese on it. Yeah. Can you hear the passing bell tolling? Raven Lord takes you far away. It's like, you know, there's still cheese there. Um, but yeah, as I say, I I do genuinely love that one. Um, which I can't say, unfortunately, for the next track. Which is track seven, Allies of the Dark. <laughs> So tell me why you don't like this song. It's not that I don't like it, but I think it's the weakest track on the album. I think this is, you know, the slump. Um, wow. And it, I mean, it has some nice touches, like there's bits of the chorus that I like, but I think it's, I don't know, this, the, you can't sing along to the chorus very easily, I don't think. And it just doesn't feel as well written, as well structured. It feel, I'm maybe I'm completely wrong, but it feels like this is like, oh shit, we're a song short. Let's write another one. Oh, I couldn't disagree more. This is where the metal argument comes in. Uh, <laughs> this is one of my favorite tracks on the album. Really? Wow. Yep. To me, this is uh, Dokken and Twisted Sister. In fact, right before the chorus, there's kind of this like uh, burn in hell the song twists the twisted sisters burn in hell where it goes like it i hear that here so to me it, this song had a very um twisted sister meets Dokken. and then at like three and a half minutes the sort of chasing guitar part is very halloween um i think so i guess it 
maybe you're right in the sense that it doesn't come together as well as it could, but it had a lot of elements that I really like. And, um, and it's, it's, it rocks. Like the song is a, is a rocking tune. I think, I think it's done a, not a disservice, but like when we get to the next song, like maybe it wasn't the right song to put before oh, may, yeah, the final be song. Yeah. Um, I do maybe appreciate would have been better. You know, maybe it would have been better if we flipped them uh, and yeah, yeah. it was allies of the dark and then Raven Lord. But I, I do really like this song. I appreciate that they wrote a song about vampires without using the word vampire anywhere, given that they've already done one song about vampires on side one as well. Um, because, you know, this is absolutely the sort of band that you would expect not to shy away from just saying vampire. <laughs> so I do. But I, I, I like the way he delivers the chorus to where, where it's like, bloodshot eyes like at one two three well that's what i meant about that syllabic singing yeah yeah but then bats in disguise is is uh you know it's drawn out more so it's like syllable 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 and then it's a longer sort of drawn out when he gets to bats in disguise Mm -hmm. so i like that kind of like playing with the delivery that happens in the chorus there claws from the back lips at your neck allies of the dark Mm -hmm. The, the 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 it's the what second, could he be referring to? It's the second verse here that cracks me up in terms of lyrical cheese. Up the left of his room. Oh, who who says that? Up the left of his room. What? <laughs> yeah. But up the left of his room, there's a mighty mirror. A lady's passing that wall. What you see makes you shiver and shake, for she has no reflection at all. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I just love the specificity of it, right? It's like, hey, when you're there... Yeah. You want to go Look up, to the you left. take a left. <laughs> yeah, there's a mirror there. The lady's going to come by. Like, it, it, it's like somebody, like, it's it's great. Like, you can literally retrace the steps of the protagonist <laughs> in this uh, in this song. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, that's, like I say, I, it's not like I hate this track or anything. I just think it's the weakest on the album. Um, and it's, it, which is a shame, but all, it's got to go somewhere, you know. And so it is in that sort of traditional near the end of the album slump. Um, oh, and you mentioned the solo, the chasing solos. So I think yeah. most of the solos on this album are done by Lee Taro, by Harold Spengler. Um, okay. Just from some photos that I've seen and what have you, it always seems to be him who's doing the rip-roaring guitar hero stuff. Um, but, you know, I don't know whether they might have shared somewhere, I think, because there are no actual credits on any of the songs for who does what solo. Um, but the section here, what is it with German bands and doing bloody Decatur and feud in D minor? Like Halloween did it as well. And I think Kai Hansen may have done it on a gamma ray record as well. What, like, stop. What is this obsession <laughs> with Johann Sebastian Bach? I don't, I mean, the whole middle eight here actually sounds like it could have come off of Keeper of the Seven Keys. And that's uh, in itself, obviously yeah. is not a bad thing. But yeah, as soon as it starts playing, I remember the very first time hearing but, this. But let me ask you a question. Can you put a Black Romantic album together without that? <laughs> Clearly not. I remember okay. the, the first so, time I heard this. I feel like it's as, table stakes, right? It's the price of entry. As soon as that solo started, I was like, oh God, no, not another one. <laughs> yeah, that's how you know. <laughs> oh man. Just, yeah, stop it. I do not understand. I mean, okay, Bach was, you know, was he German or Austrian, actually? Uh, I assume he was German. But, yeah, just, I don't get it. It'd be like 
uh, British metal bands like constantly put in, I don't know, Elgar or something. <laughs> like, no, stop it. Yeah, anyway. But let's let's move on then to the next track, the final track. The last track of side two, the last track of the album, the instrumental. Yes. Dorian Gray. You know what? First couple listens, I was like, I don't know if this is a waste of a final track on an album, but it has grown on me. My, I guess my biggest criticism of this is that for an instrumental, see what I did there? Yeah, I did. Yeah. For an instrumental, it doesn't quite reach the heights. This, this is kind of like the whole long song thing. Like, if you're going to do an instrumental, you have to justify your existence. Mm as an instrumental. I feel like this song would have been better with vocals. Oh. And to me, it just feels like an unfinished song that the music is there, but they didn't have any vocals for it. As opposed to a song that I feel stands completely on its own as an instrumental. Right. And that's what I struggle with here. It's not a bad song. Uh, It's five and a half minutes. It is a little long. It's It's the second longest track on the album. Yeah. The first minute and a half of that goes by before it really kicks in. But at the same time, like, I just feel like if you're going to end on an instrumental, you like, you really need to nail it. And I just don't think it reaches that height. I think I broadly agree with that. I think I like it more than you by the sounds of it, but I do broadly agree. Um, I actually love the opening section. Like I could listen because it's really well done. I could listen yeah, to absolutely. this sort of faux medieval piece for eight. Like I have albums of loop music. <laughs> sure. <laughs> People yeah. like Hopkinson Smith recordings and stuff like, you know, I will listen to that stuff and I could listen to the opening of this, you know, to a, an extended version of the opening yeah. of this quite happily. Um, but eventually it's got to get metal, obviously to sort of, you know, to match the, the name. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's well constructed. Like it does build from quiet to loud and slow to fast, and everybody gets a chance to kind of show off their their licks. But it's no Call of Cthulhu, you know. Uh, yes. Which I have always assumed was an influence on this because that came out a couple of years. That Ride the Lightning was eighty four, wasn't it? So that's a couple of years before they recorded this, and I've always assumed that that was an influence. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't come anywhere near that. <laughs> you know, it is yeah no, no match for that. But it's. Again, it's like so many things about this album. It's fine, but there is almost nothing original in it. Nothing that you haven't heard before, unfortunately. Well, and does it 
work well as the final track on the album. And I don't think so because it's missing so because it doesn't have the vocals, because it doesn't have the super cheese lyrics, because it doesn't have that vibe that the other songs have can't be as all get out. Does it make you want to immediately put the album on again and go back through it? Yeah. And and I don't know if it does that. Because this isn't like one of those albums where, man, that was so heavy. I just need to sit with it for a while. I don't want to put it back on again. Like, this is an album that you should be able to just listen to all day. Yeah. You know, on repeat, just rip through it. And and I did. Uh, (laughs) That's (laughs) that's definitely what I've I've been doing with it. And so, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not a hard stop. It doesn't make me not want to flip it over, but it also doesn't make me want to just immediately kick it back on again. And so I feel like we could have reshuffled the songs a little bit on this album. And I think it would have done the album a service. Right. You know, like, like you like mentioned the, the end of the first style. half and side yeah. two. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe stronger than heaven is the ending song on this album, oh. you know, and, um, and maybe Dorian Gray is the second to last song on this album. And oh. then we, I just feel like you could have done the instrumental and then ended with a song that's representative of, what the rest of the songs on this album are like. And that would have been a nice way to end the album. I hadn't even considered that maybe Stronger Than Heaven would work as a closing track. But now that you say it, I think you might be onto something there. Yeah. Because you're right. That would absolutely kind of pump you up a little bit and make you want to turn it over and start again. Um, the one thing I don't get about this track, I don't understand why it's called Dorian Gray. I mean, it's it's another literary gothic, sorry, black romantic reference. Yes, <laughs> that they please, could, thank you. That they could squeeze in, I suppose. But but yeah, it doesn't feel. I don't get Dorian Gray picture of Dorian Gray vibes from this track at all. I mean, I'm not sure how you would from an instrumental, but I don't know. It's and this is where I feel like if they were going to do an instrumental here, you need to go past Halloween and past Iron Maiden. And you need to get into Ingve territory here. That's what would have served this album better. Because that's the vibe they've already established on this album. So, like, really let your guitar players go on this one. And back and forth, trading solos. Like, they could have really um, put... And that's why I feel like, because you're not doing that, throw some lyrics on it and have it be, you know, yeah. another song on the album. But, but yeah, that was my thing. Is just kind of like, if you're going to do this, like, take it to where the expectation has been set on this album, which is at 11. Yeah. Just do it to 11. <laughs> Just like take um, it to the edge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like shred it up, like throw a bass solo in there, like go, let it, you know, yeah, let he clearly it wants shine. to do one. <laughs> absolutely. Like, especially if it's the last song in the album, like everybody gets their moment to shine on this one. And, and this is the, you know, this is how we go out on this album. So if you're not going to do that, then maybe uh, either switch up where it fits in the rotation here or, um, throw some lyrics on it but again all that said not a bad song not a song that i'd cut from this album because that's a great thing of, of the length of this album being so short i don't think any song on this album overstays its welcome There's no filler. and the album yeah. yeah yeah the album doesn't overstay its welcome it is a treat to go back to my original statement from start to finish mm. it is it is really um it's a really fun album i think it, it is and that that's the thing i mean i don't know whether they intended it <laughs> to be fun uh i mean you you listen again to the retrospective you read the retrospective interviews with people like andy aldrian and he kind of implies that they did but obviously that's also 20 25 years later um 
I don't know if at the time they did intend it to be in that way that Halloween, like you can just tell from Halloween that there is a layer of this is all slightly silly and we are telling, you know, like fantasy stories and we're having a bit of a laugh about it while also enjoying doing it. I don't quite get that impression here. I get the impression. I've always had the impression that they did. They were sincere that there was no, as I said at the start, there was no irony here that they really did think like, this is fucking cool. Um, so I don't know whether they intended it to be fun in that way, but you're right that it absolutely is, you know, looking back from the modern perspective. And even in the early nineties, as I say, when I first heard it, I was like, Oh wow. Wow. This is just so <laughs> it's such a, a time capsule. It's such an artifact of that mid eighties European metal scene even though they weren't part of a larger scene but just the the tastes and the attitudes towards metal yeah at that time in that place in general um yeah it is like like i say like a perfect little time capsule of that time and in that respect it is fun to listen to it and just sort of sing along with a big cheesy grin and, oh, you dude. know <laughs> I mentioned TSO earlier. This is an album. This was a real missed opportunity here because I feel like this is an album where you do a tour every fall of right. this album yeah. with a full stage show. You throw a little narrative between these songs, and this is a full on production. Like TSO does Christmas Eve and other stories and stuff like that, and they come around every single year and they tour, you know, fall into winter every single year. This is one of those albums that I feel like they could have just built a little production around this and came out and played this album front to back every year around this time and done a series of tour dates, you know, uh, and I feel like people would totally be all about that. Yeah. Have people in costumes coming on during oh, the Oh, dude, where are your costumes here? Are you kidding me? Yes, absolutely. Co-headlining with like King Diamond or something like that. Like, dude, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah I, overall as i said i, I you know that my fondness for this album is largely i mean apart from the fact that there are just some good songs on here but it is largely built on its naive charm um it, because it is like i say it's there's no front to this album there's no kind of uh irony there is no oh we're just doing this because we think it will sell records or anything. You can tell they are into it. They are into this stuff. Uh, it's what they want to do and they are doing it. And I kind of love that. Oh, I, I'll just say it again. This is a great album. Like no qualifiers. Great album. Cause it's can't be great. No, this is a great album. This is a super fun album to listen to. This is one I will definitely be listening to again. And like I said, I feel like this is now my October album that I'll be throwing on because it is a ton of fun. Um, I really, really liked it. So I really am grateful that you brought this one to my attention because I had not heard it before. I didn't know anything about this band and uh, other than maybe hearing their name, but man, they got no play over here as far as I can remember. Honestly, uh, I don't think they got any play over here either. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wild because like this album is a lot better than a lot of the crap that was being peddled on MTV during the heyday of hair metal. Right. And I feel like these guys could have crushed it over here. Um, Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Well, that, but that's the problem with being, you know, from a small town in Germany. Uh, yeah. 
you know, in an unfashionable part of Germany as well. It's in Swabia, uh, on the border of Bavaria. It's like really kind of, you know, boondocks uh, territory. And so, yeah, unfortunately, they just didn't, they couldn't take advantage of having a scene or connections or anything like that. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing that they put out as many albums as they did, frankly. That just speaks to tenacity, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, and I did not, because I didn't, I wanted to just stay focused on this. I didn't go and check out their other stuff, but their other stuff is out there and available too. So I will be checking out the rest of what they've done. I'd be interested to hear about that. I deliberately have not. Like, this is one of those things where I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to spoil my enjoyment of this album by listening to other stuff that might be, you know, inferior or maybe even better, you know, slicker, yeah. better produced or something. I, I don't want to spoil my enjoyment of this album with by sort of tainting it <laughs> with other stuff. Um, but yeah, it's all out there. Like I say, it's all on Spotify and what have you these days. Um, even though, you know, yeah, back in the 90s, I picked this up. Well, like I say, I don't know. I think maybe I picked it up from a car boot or one of my friends did. Or maybe it just appeared. <laughs> like magic. You know? <laughs> with a little halloween magic yeah you know the masters of black romantic they have ways of working i think and, that, ju- uh, that just kind of adds to its appeal for me and that i genuinely cannot does. remember i don't want to know if you find out how you came across that i don't want to <laughs> don't know. tell you yeah <laughs> because i just want to believe that it just appeared one day much like much like you bringing it to us yes that hadn't discovered it before you know it's a little bit of that halloween magic <laughs> all right and on that note happy halloween everyone Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, if you enjoy the show, please do spread the word. Tell your friends. Rate us on uh, iTunes. Well, they don't call it that anymore, do they? Apple Podcasts uh, and the Google Play Podcast Store. And we're on Amazon Podcasts and I think even Spotify Podcasts. So, you know, you can find us everywhere. Give us a, a rating or a thumbs up or whatever you do on those platforms these days. I don't know. I'm an old man like Adam Horowitz. Um, <laughs> right. And- <laughs> we don't think about new platforms. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I do that? Um, and of course, remember you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thrash it out. If you want to get in touch, go to thrash it for links to email and Twitter, or you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out. That is truly this time, the end of volume five, volume five, man, Jesus. So we'll be back for volume six. That will make you crumble to dust uh at some point soon we'll take a month or two off um maybe we'll be back for the new before the new year or maybe we won't i don't know actually uh but we'll, we'll see how how things go um and we'll see you soon and in the meantime keep thrashing take care everybody Rush!